This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Saya on the ground, softly hit it, finds a hole. He punches it through the right side. It scores Horner. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we are going to take a look at our rookie power rankings. First one of the year in season. We did one preseason where we looked at the top five candidates for the Rookie of the Year awards in each league. We're going to bunch them all together and rank the top 10 this week. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the prospect team of the week. We have our third one of the season. We'll take a look at some of the guys standing out in the minors. We will talk draft. We're just a couple months away. We're going to do a not a mock draft, not a mock. Jim and Jonathan will make picks for the first 10 picks of the 2022 draft, not who they think the teams will pick at this point, but who they think they should pick. And we'll give you a little preview of what's on tap on MLB.tv this week with minor league baseball games. We've got a nice slate of games that you can watch on MLB.tv. And we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. Jim and Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk rookies. Back about a month ago, we ranked the top five candidates from each league for 2022 Rookie of the Year. And now we are a month in, and it's changed considerably. For one, we we split them up by league initially. Now we're just doing a power ranking of the top 10 rookies overall, irrespective of league. And taking a look at how this is shaken out, at the top is Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs is number one, which is what we expected on the National League side. I think we had him pretty much unanimously uh, number one in the preseason rankings. And thus far, he has been quite good, especially relative to a, a lot of rookies who've kind of struggled out of the gate. 278, 398, 528 with four home runs and 15 RBIs. The only other rookie that even really comes close to Suzuki in terms of OPS is Stephen Kwan of the end. Uh, oh, ah. didn't quite say it. I didn't quite say it. $5,000. Okay. 12, five. <laughs> it costs you 12, five. Stephen Kwan, the guardians outfielder, uh, who has posted a nine 11 OPS without virtue of any home runs, nine walks, six strikeouts, but does have five doubles, triple, hitting 340 through his first 16 games after that historic start to the season in which he refused to swing and miss. But the the rankings now, 
guys are kind of interesting because Quan is down in the ninth spot. Um, so despite his hot start, we're not entirely buying into him being a bona fide rookie of the year candidate. Well, I think we, we are. We just have him behind some other guys. Um, and he has cooled off considerably. Yeah, in the American League, he's sixth among American leaguers on our list. Julio Rodriguez, who sort of notably been off to a, a slow start, but has started to heat up a bit. You know what, Jason, real quick, I want to say, you know what I did not realize? Did you guys have Julio Rodriguez leading the majors in steals after the first month of the season? Yeah, he's nine for nine, I'm right? I'm sure he did. Well, he got caught, I think, last night. Oh, he did? Oh, okay. Oh, shoot. But, um, but yeah, yeah, like, that shocks me. I mean, I mean, I know he can run, but, like, I never thought that Julio Rodriguez would be leading the, the big leagues with nine steals and have one homer. I, I, if you'd asked me, one of these numbers is going to be nine and one of these numbers is going to be one, I would have gone for nine homers, one steal. You would have flipped that. Yeah, it's funny. I think every time he takes off, you know, he's yelling out, I'll show you in your 55 run grade. Yeah, I, th- I think every time he takes off, he gets faster. He's like he's like O'Neill Cruz, but with speed instead of height. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's funny because Jonathan, I remember, you know, at the Futures game, he sort of, I think, good-naturedly ribbed you for the speed grade that he had at the time. And then I think in spring training this year, did he talk to Sam Dyser and kind of expressed some surprise at his own increased speed. And then suddenly, yeah, he was nine for nine, now nine for 10 and stolen bases. And, you know, Jim, I know you expressed some surprise at the fact that he's playing center field over Kelnick, something else you wouldn't have predicted. I wouldn't have predicted anything related to Jared Kelnick. Um, <laughs> apparently. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, I mean, and I think that's what the great players do. I mean, look, I mean, he's been highly touted ever since he signed basically. And he keeps getting better and showing that he can do more things than even we expected. And and I think that's the hallmark of a great player. So, um, you know, that's why, you know, as you touched on, even though he's not off to a great start, you know, I think almost all of us, except for that mean Sam Dykstra, voted him as the second best rookie. We, we think he'll be the second best rookie at the end of the season wow. um, and the best in the American League. I'm not okay with you just publicly announcing our, our internal voting. That's wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, and Sam. Sam had him third. So. <laughs> I don't think Sam would mind, really. So Sam had Joe Ryan, who. Fine pick. Yeah, notably uh, made the biggest jump on this list. He was not in our top five on the American League side in the preseason. He's now top five overall. He's number four on this list. So it's Suzuki, Julio Rodriguez, Jeremy Pena, and Joe Ryan. We we knew, in hindsight, we knew he had a, a rotation spot. He was an opening day starter. We knew he had a good chance to perform, but, you know, as good as we thought he might be, a top 100 prospect, I don't think we saw this coming. No, I mean, he's been he's been dominant, but, you know, he's been good everywhere he, he's been. Uh, you know, I think how he's been going about it is probably the most interesting thing because this is a guy who, throughout his time with the Rays and coming over to the Twins, had a lot of success. You know, his minor league numbers are ridiculous. Pitching incredibly heavily off of his fastball. Last year, between AAA and his you know, times touching the big leagues, he, he threw his fastball 72% of the time. And it's one of these pitches, you know, he doesn't light up radar guns, but you, you don't see it. I think we've, we've you know, talked to scouts who have called it invisible or you know it disappears what you know whatever you want to call it it's got a ton of life uh, there's deception and and no one ever squares it up i think the interesting thing is is that he has 
really start to mix in his other pitches more this year. He's down to about 52% throwing a fastball and it. He's going to keep throwing it, you know, a, a majority of the time because it's such a good pitch. He should pitch off of his fastball uh, and he can command it so well, but he's throwing a slider 30% of the time. It's missing a ton of bats. Uh, and I think that's, pro- you know, he's, he's also got a change up in a curve that he's throwing, but I think it's really the uh, balance between the fastball and slider while folding in his other pitches, you know, with more frequency. So, you know, he's always been good. I think he's become a more complete pitcher. He's so smart on the mound, you know, so he understood that perhaps relying that heavily on his fastball long-term as a starter in the big leagues wasn't going to, to play. And so far he's had really good results. He's been impressive. You know, it's funny. He did this last year, too. His ERA was higher because he gave up four home runs in 26 and two-thirds innings. But if you look at all his, you know, hits and walks and strikeouts, he basically did the same thing last year with the Twins that he's doing this year. Um, and he's basically doing what he's done his whole career. Um, you know, he's just a very, you know, he, you know, throwing that fastball from that, from a low slot with, like, a very flat approach angle. Guys just can't get on top of it. And he throws a ton of strikes. And like you said, Jonathan, I'm, I'm even more intrigued now that he's, he's throwing the slider, which if you're trying to sit on the fastball, if you're right here and try to sit in the fastball, he just sweeps it out of the zone and gets you that way. And he mixes in the changeup and curveball the lefties. Um, it's been really, really impressive. And, you know, he's one of those guys that just because of his pedigree and the fact that he doesn't throw hard and he was a seventh round pick out of, out of Cal state Stanislaus, he was literally the, the classic, well, he's going to have to prove himself at every level guy. And he's proven himself at every level, and now he's doing it in the big leagues. And and I, I don't think this is a fluke. I, I think Joe Ryan's for real. His first four starts, a 1.17 ERA, a .7 whip, 132 average against has allowed 10 hits over 23 innings with 27 strikeouts. So that uh, the reason for the vault up the list, and as you said, this uh, you guys think this is sustainable. He's should be in the running for AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, some other guys on this list mentioned Julio toward the top, Jeremy Pena, Joe Ryan, Bobby Wood Jr., and Spencer Torkelson, number five and six on the list. So between Julio, Witt, and Torkelson, those were the top three on our preseason list on the AL side. All three have struggled considerably out of the gate. Jim, why why do you think Witt has dropped more than the other two in this in this early ranking. Well, I'll, I'll out myself. It's because I voted him lower than the rest <laughs> of you and pulled him down a little bit, and I think I voted Torkelson higher. I mean, for, for me, I, I, you know, when I was looking at split hairs, because, again, you know, people always rage about our rookie power rankings. This isn't simply, okay, these guys have had the best seasons to date. It's based on what we think they're going to do the rest of the way and what they've done so far. How's the voting going to look at the end of the year? And, you know, we've got him bunched up. I mean, I think we're still, you know, getting votes, but like, you know, Witt, Torkelson, you know, Julio was, was clear ahead of him, but Witt and Torkelson were pretty close and, and Jeremy Pena was in there too. Not that I don't like Bobby Wood Jr., but I've always been a little bit hedging that I thought it might take him longer to adjust to the big leagues than Rodriguez or Torkelson or Adley Rutschman when he comes up, just because I don't think Bobby Wood Jr. commands strikes on as well as those guys. So I, I voted him lower. He's got 19 strikeouts, two walks, 
that concerns me a little bit, you know, and, and that's in 79 plate appearances. You know, I, I think he's still going to be fine. I, I just don't think he's necessarily going to hit for a high average. And that said, I mean, nobody who, who hits for a high average anymore. I mean, I, I think the, the reason we've seen these numbers, most of these guys have underwhelmed just from a statistical standpoint is that's the nature of major league baseball right now. It's almost impossible to hit all these crazy fastballs and sliders and downer curveballs. And it's, you know, it's a pitcher's world right now. Yeah. Look at the guys on this list, just their, their batting averages. Jeremy Pena, 211. Julio Rodriguez, 234. Bobby Wood Jr., 224. Spencer Torkelson, 190. Top 100 prospects, these guys all struggling considerably. Jim, you mentioned the the walk-strikeout ratio of Wood Jr., two walks and 19 strikeouts. Julio is an interesting one. Seven walks, 30 strikeouts. But much has been made of the calls that have gone against him, and it's it's been you know seemingly unprecedented, the number of pitches out of the strike zone that he's been rung up on and you know, I don't know how many of those 30 strikeouts can be attributed to that, but it's been uh, it's been pretty remarkable. All right, so moving on down the list a little bit more, a couple interesting names. Mackenzie Gore, somebody that we did not uh, necessarily expect. We didn't have him in the preseason top five in the NL, but he has been, uh, Jim, I'm sure you'll be happy to discuss this. He's been very good so far. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, you know, there had been reports in spring training that he seemed like he got his mechanics back in sync and the stuff was back. And, and that's been true since, you know, we've seen through three big league starts. Um, somebody was asking me, I forget who I was talking to in baseball. And I was like, well, I don't know how you can send him down if he keeps pitching like this. But he's, you know, it's been such a strange path because in 2019, going into 2020, I think we, we had him ranked as the best pitching prospect in baseball, didn't we? Um, yes. And then he went to the alternate site and his mechanics seemed like they got out of whack and they were calling up, you know, Ryan Weathers and, and other, at least Patino was young and Mackenzie Gore did not get the call. And then last year he was kind of all over the place in terms of consistency. And Jonathan, I don't think you, I think he was gone from the fall league by the time you got there. Right. Cause you went at the end. Is that, yeah, I didn't, I don't, think I saw him now. Yeah, okay. So so even in the fall league, so you know, he he pitched at four different spots in the Padres system last year everywhere but um single A and had trouble throwing strikes. Um you know, he, he missed bats, but he he wasn't throwing strikes, he wasn't particularly sharp. He went to the fall league and it was it was weird. So the first start in the fall league, he pitched great. And like, you're wondering, okay, like he'd come on a little bit at the end of the season. And so in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, like maybe he's turned a corner. And then the second time he pitched, he was terrible. And I saw the third time he pitched against Bobby Miller. And there was no question that Bobby Miller w- was clearly the best pitching prospect that day. McKenzie stuff was kind of, you know, average to solid and he didn't really command it well. But, you know, you heard reports he was throwing harder. He was throwing more strikes this spring. And, and so far, so good uh, in the big leagues. Yeah, he's only 23. Like, I think we forget sometimes how young he is. And there have been plenty of stories of over the years of players, especially pitchers, who struggled early. And you know, he struggled a lot and a lot more than people expected him to. But he's still super young. All right. And one more note on this rookie power rankings list uh, at the 10th spot is the only player who has yet to reach the big leagues, and that's Adley Rutschman. The fact that he's on this list, I assume, means that uh, there's belief that he'll be up in time to make an impact. Do you think he's got a legitimate shot at at, uh, making a run at the AL Rookie of the Year? Will he be up in time to do that? Well, nobody's really running away from him. 
right now. Yeah, I, I think that's the key point is because no one really is is the obvious. You know, Joe Ryan might be the one exception in terms of performance, but you know, it's a long year for a starting pitcher, so we'll have to see. So I do think that he could come up, say, the end of May, beginning of June, and have you know four really good months and be right there. All right, that rookie power rankings is up on MLB.com slash pipeline. Take a look at that. That's a look at some guys who are performing in the big leagues. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to look at some guys who are performing in the minor leagues. When we look at our prospect team of the week, that's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. We talked about prospects who are performing in the big leagues. Now I want to talk about some who have been performing in the minor leagues. Our prospect team of the week, number three on the year, is out. For the third straight week, it is anchored behind the plate by an A's catching prospect. And for the second consecutive week, it is the same one, Shea Langliers, who obviously known largely for his defense. But I have to say, to make the prospect team of the week, you're not really doing that with your defense. No, no, come on. When I vote, Jason, I'm I'm reviewing, uh, <laughs> I'm looking at highlights. Uh, I'm factoring in defensive war. Framing data. Yeah, like how many runs he saved framing. So, like, I, you don't realize how much work I put into the defensive aspect <laughs> of prospect team of the week. Jim, come on. Uh, he's... He's been uh, he's been hitting the ball, Shane Langlers. Well, you know, going back to his draft year, I mean, look, you're going to get overshadowed in your draft class if you're a college catcher and you're in a draft class that also includes Adley Rutschman, who would wind up going number one overall. And you know, I've said this a million times. I, I think Adley Rutschman's got the best all-around tools of any catcher since I've been covering the draft, which is thirty-something years now. And Langoliers had a rough sophomore season at Baylor where he tried to do too much and he hit 250 or so. And then he had a broken hamate that he played through at Baylor as a junior, which to me is amazing. I don't know how you play with a broken hamate if you're a catcher on your mid hand. Like that would seem to be pretty painful, but he played through it. And yes, the defense is always what's going to stand out first because you know, I think you can make a case that he's as good as any defensive catching prospect in the minors. I mean, he's right there with anybody. But, you know, he did hit 22 homers in 97 games last year in his first full season pro ball. And he's off to a great start in Triple A this year. I mean, I know the ball flies in, in Las Vegas, but, you know, nine homers in 21 games. And, you know, this is not just going to be Jeff Mathis. I, I think this is a guy who can be a gold glove catcher. And maybe he's not going to hit for a, a super high batting average. But I think it's 20-plus homer power, and I think this guy is going to be very, very good. Um, it's going to be interesting because, you know, does that mean that Oakland's going to trade Sean Murphy and create a spot for Shea Langoliers because he's, he's just about ready? 
And Jeff Mathis, what what did he ever do to you? Oh, come on. Jeff Mathis even would admit that he's a good defender but can't hit. <laughs> All right, so m- moving on down the prospect team of the week, uh, along with Shea Langliers. <laughs> At first base, Juan Yepes, uh, Cardinals' number six prospect, followed by Curtis Mead at second base, the Rays, number six. It's a very uh, Arizona Fall League feeling uh, mm. prospect team of the week here. Uh, but Yep has the fifth Cardinal in three weeks to make the team, which is the most of any organization thus far. And three out of those five Cardinals have been pitchers, a lefty, a righty, and a reliever. And moving on down this list, Ezekiel Tovar, this was an interesting one because the Rockies had two shortstops who had really, really good weeks. Really was a toss-up between Tovar and Adele Amador. Could have gone either way there. Outfield, Alexander Canario, uh, Cubs number 18 prospect. Michael Harris, the Braves number one prospect and one of three top 100 prospects on this week's Team of the Week. Matt Walner of the Twins, the third outfielder. And Jonathan, of that outfield group, Michael Harris... Did he have the most impressive week of the bunch? I, yeah. yeah. I mean, Harris, you know, is interesting because he's kind of taken the mantle. You know, the Braves seem to always have outfield prospects and some have, you know, gone on to great things like Ronald Acuna. You know, Christian Pesce has been traded. Drew Waters has kind of stagnated a bit. But Michael Harris has kind of jumped to the fore as a guy with just a, an absolute tool chest. And... He has been hitting all year, you know, and he's young for the level. He's driving in runs. He's driving the ball. He plays really good defense. Again, not a real part of this, but, uh, uh, you know, three homers for the week. He's slugging 586 for the year. So he he's a very, very exciting player. And, you know, another one of these stories for the Braves where they seem to have gotten a guy right where there was mixed feelings coming to the draft, whether he should be, on the mound or in the outfield, you know, obviously much different player than Austin Riley, but you know, they, they seem to be getting the guys in their backyard who want to hit right more often than not. All right. And let's look at our pitchers on this week's prospect team of the week, Jim of the three here. Who do you want to talk about? I think I know you do. Well, um, you, you, I think you pronounced yourself the president of the Yuri Perez fan club. That was the president of the Eduardo Perez fan club. You misunderstood. I said E. So. Perez. No, I, I do like Eduardo as well. But no, yeah, I mean, Yuri Perez, you know, we've talked about, it feels like almost regularly, like he was almost achieving um, Jack Leiter weekly status at one point during the offseason. But, you know, the, you know, the short version, he's 6'8", tremendous body control for a young guy that big, only 19 years old, in A to start the season. And he got off to a slow start after dominating two A levels last year in his pro debut at 18. What didn't pitch terrible, but got knocked around a little bit. You know, his first 11 and two thirds innings, he gave up 13 hits. He did strike out 18. And then in his last start of April, he looked like the Yuri Perez that is in the running to be the best pitching prospect in baseball. Five innings, one hit, 12 strikeouts, no walks. As you guys know, I've agonized over like where he should have been versus Edward Cabrera and Max Meyer on our top 100 list and on our Marlins top 30 list that I do. But that, that was good to see. I, I wasn't you know feeling like there were any alarms going off because he got off to a slow start. And frankly, I mean, if he struggled this year and went back to double A next year, he'd be 20 years old and still one of the youngest guys in double A next year. You know, I'll be curious now to see what do we get from your Perez the next time out as he turned the corner? Is he is he about to take off again? On the 
other side of the mound, the left-handed pitcher on this week's prospect team of the week, Ricky Tiedemann, who has had no such struggles <laughs> so far this year. He's gone five innings in each of his four starts. He's now posted consecutive hitless starts with strikeouts across those four starts of eight, 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 and nine. About the only knock on him to this point, the 10 walks in 20 innings pitched. But he is, he's Except three and his o- last start. Yeah, his, his last start did not walk anyone. A bit of a stride there. But on the season, a .081 average against. I think it's fair to say that opponents are having a bit of a tough time squaring him up. It, it's kind of fun because we probably talked about him at some point during spring training. I, you know, I was in Blue Jays camp, and there was a lot of buzz around how good he looked. And, you know, you're trying to not go too nuts because it was, you know, bullpen sessions. It was still during the lockout. He wasn't, you know, maybe there was live BP, but he hadn't pitched in a game yet. I mean, and he's always been intriguing uh, because he's big and he's athletic and he's left-handed. But it looks like whatever gains he was showing in spring training, at least so far, are showing up when, when he gets the ball every five or six days. Impressive. All right, and the reliever on this week's prospect team of the week, Francisco Morales of the Phillies, their number 10 prospect. All he did over the course of three and two-thirds innings was strike out nine while allowing just one hit and no walks. That prospect team of the week is up on MLB.com slash pipeline now. Check that out. We are going to take a break, and we're going to turn our attention to the draft. We're going to take a look at one pitcher who's been throwing about 200 miles an hour, I think it is. And not a mock. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff. Let's talk about Ben Joyce. Jim, yep. you you don't you don't like well, I I have nothing personal against Ben Joyce. I know you don't have anything against Ben Joyce, personally, of course. But anytime I can remember when there's much ado made about a guy throwing a hundred plus miles an hour, and especially when it's in a, a setting where it's uh where not a game setting, but you always temper these things. But Ben Joyce has, has thrown harder than anyone has ever thrown a baseball, uh, apparently. Are we sure of that? Has he well, thrown I harder than Aldous Chapman? Well, that's 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 the report. Well, initially it was reported to be harder than... Yeah, I mean, I, I saw 105.5 in a, in a Pitching Ninja tweet this weekend. I didn't... I, had, I did not try to track down any scouts who were at the game to to see what, what they got him as. But, like, you know, Ben Joyce is one of the more unique prospects that you'll see in a draft. I mean, he, he hit 103 miles an hour in his second game. Tennessee right-hander. We yep. Tennessee right-hander. You know, he, he started off at Walter state. He sat out 2019. He hit 98 miles an hour during the shortened pandemic year. 
transferred to Tennessee, blew out his elbow, had Tommy John, missed all of last year. You know, like I said, hit 103 in his second appearance. He's averaged, <laughs> according to Synergy, <laughs> you don't see this too often. No. He's averaged 101.1 with his fastball this year. Um, and, and not only does he throw hard, if you look at video of him, he throws from a, a you know, even though he's a, a bigger guy, he's 6'5", he throws from kind of a low slot, and it's a flat approach angle. So if it wasn't hard enough to hit, you know, triple-digit heat, it's, you know, it seems like the ball's rising at the plate, which makes it that much tougher. Now, the caveats with Ben Joyce are, you know, I've talked to a bunch of scouts about him, and they're still trying to figure him out. He missed almost all of 2018 and 2019 while dealing with shoulder, elbow, and growth plate issues, you know, before he had the Tommy John. There's a little track record. He throws about 85% fastballs. You know, he, he did, we'll talk about his sunny outing in a second. It's down to 80, it's 81% now because he threw 20 sliders yesterday after throwing 31 in his first few appearances. But it's, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly what he is and what he's going to be in pro ball because he's a reliever. He almost always pitches on three days or more rest. He almost never pitches in a close game or an SEC conference game. I don't know of too many relievers in pro ball, no matter how hard they throw, where you're like, okay, we're good with him pitching every third or fourth day, and we, you know, we're going to just use him in blowouts. Now, that said, it, it was interesting yesterday against Auburn because Blade Tidwell, who we've talked about a bunch, who had some shoulder issues at the beginning of the season, is now back in Tennessee's weekend rotation. He got knocked out early on Saturday, and so Tennessee used his two primary relievers to finish that game uh, on Saturday. So they really didn't have a lot of pitching. So, so Ben Joyce, who had not pitched more than two innings all year, pitched four innings yesterday. It, you know, his first like really extended look. Um, he had, you know was pitching on four days rest um, again. And you know, interestingly enough, you know, I was telling you he was throwing like eighty-five percent fastballs going into that game. He threw 33 fastballs and averaged 102.4 and hit 105.5 um, and actually got, you know, had a slightly higher swing and miss rate on his slider. Now, he doesn't always throw his slider for strikes. He was yesterday. He threw it a lot better for strikes than he did yesterday. And he also has a low 90s changeup with a nice fade that looks good when he's warming up. Um, I know teams, excuse me, thinks it has a chance to be a pretty good pitch. And he has literally thrown 10 changeups all year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you have this interesting changeup, but that he, he's got 3% changeup usage. So it's, it's just it's a hard picture to figure out because you do have extreme velocity, but it's also extreme lack of track record, a pretty extreme medical history, and pretty half, you know, fastball heavy usage. So, you know, my guess is I'll bet he goes late second, early third round. You know, maybe, maybe he goes even higher than that because he's a fourth year college guy. So there might be, you know, you, you could perhaps discount him to some extent, but like he, I, I still don't know exactly what to make of him. You know, Jason, I know you were sort of teasing Jim for, you know, whenever a guy throws super hard and a lot of times it's in those workouts, as you pointed out, but sometimes those guys also, can't throw a strike, right? So, you know, sure, great. A guy can get on the mound and throw 102, but you know, he's walking eight guys per nine innings or, you know, something insane. Like that, that, that makes sense, you know, to be a little more uh, suspicious or critical to add to the mystery that is Ben Joyce is he throws strikes. Well, so with it, one pitch for the <laughs> most part. 
okay, but I'm just I'm just separating him a little bit from some other guys over the last yeah. few years who you have, shall we say, been quick to malign because all right, that guy throws super hard, but he never knows where it's going. Yeah, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if one he mixes starts mixing in that slider, you know, more frequently, and you know if he can go multiple innings and or pitch more regularly. You know, for me, the whole thing with that he wasn't being used in any kind of leverage situations was was odd, but the fact that he has some idea of where his hundred plus stuff is going makes it a little more interesting. It's just an, another added wrinkle. All right, let's move on to our not a mock. We call this a not a mock because it is not a mock. Jim and Jonathan are going to they're going to make the top ten picks of this year's draft. They're not going to be attempting to project the teams that are picking these players. They're simply saying who they think should go in these spots. So, Jonathan, I'm, I am giving you the one one pick. Okay, for the Baltimore Orioles. Your selection, if you had this pick right now. I would take Drew Jones. I'm going to go right from the top of our board. You know, Andrew's kid, he's got really exciting combination of ceiling and high floor. He can do all the things. And, you know, he's only going to get, get bigger and stronger and power you know, will continue to come. And, you know, I don't see any reason not to take the guy we have at number one. Now, wait a second. Are you guys just going to go straight down the list? No. No. Okay. Jed, you know who I'm picking number two, John? No, I think I know who you're. You know, I was going to mix it up just because this guy's been so high, okay. and I'm going to go Kevin Parada. Wow, wow, Georgia Tech, who's leading the nation of homers. He's got more walks and strikeouts. He's got more homers and strikeouts. He's not. I don't think he's going to be Shea Langleyers behind the plate, but he's 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 a definite catcher. You know, the arm's a little light, but that's fine. And I'm just going to I'm going to factor in positional value and confidence in the bat and go Kevin Parada at number two. I, I would have taken Drew Jones at 1-1, one, one. Um, but I will go Kevin Parada. So we will, I like it. We will, we will diverge from the top 150. I will take the number eight player at number two right now. Was that because you just read my newsletter? No, did you write about Kevin Parada? I, I did mention that. I had In my first mock, I put Kevin Parada at six, and that might be light given the year he's having. Oh, uh, yeah, no. But, but I, I did talk about Kevin Parada in the beat report yesterday. We so. are often on the same page. Yes. So Kevin Prada, number two. All right. And number three to the Rangers, Jonathan? Well, I'm going to go with Tamar Johnson. I'm going to take the high school infielder from Georgia, also a friend of the podcast, one of the best high school hitters we have seen in a very, very long time, who has been a little bit tougher to evaluate because uh, he doesn't play in a very good conference and his team isn't very good. So he's seen very little competitive pitching. Uh, if at all, this spring. Uh, but based on what we saw over the summer, this guy is really, really going to hit. Probably ends up at second base, but I'm, I'm going to bet on that bat at number three. All right. Jim, pick number four to the Pirates. You know, I, I, could, I could go safe and take the guy who I think is the best pure hitter on the board, but I'm going to roll the dice and I will go for Elijah Green's ceiling at number four. You know, he's... You know, I mean, not that he, I mean, what was he, where do we have him coming into the year, Jonathan? Three on our list. So it's not like he's shot up the list, but I do really think he's helped himself this spring, yep. which isn't easy to do if you're a high school player, because you usually aren't going to face a lot of great competition, but IMG Academy plays a pretty good schedule and faces some quality pitching. And I think people feel significantly better about his bat. You know, is he still going to strike out? Sure, but I don't think you're as worried that it, it's going to undermine his offensive game. And, and I do think as much as I – and I would take Drew Jones ahead of him, and I would have taken number one. 
I do think Elijah Green has the highest ceiling in this draft. Mm-hmm. He might have the most raw power in the draft. He's not the fastest player in the draft, but he's a plus-plus runner. He's I, I'd give Drew Jones the edge in center, but I think Elijah Green's a, a quality center fielder with a plus arms. I will take Elijah Green at number four. All right, so the top three players on our top 150 draft prospects list now off the board. We'll go to the number five pick, Jonathan. Well, I think I'm going to balance things out. You know, So I took the two high school players, both from Georgia, those first two. So I will take the best college pure hitter that uh, mentioned and recent guest of the podcast, Brooks Lee. Obviously doesn't have the same ceiling, but he can really, really hit. There's going to be plenty of power once he gets into the pro game. I don't think it's going to take him very long to get there. Likely going to slide over to third. Uh, but if you want to send him out as a shortstop, I think that's fine. He actually has decent actions there. But I think he has a chance to be a really good defensive third baseman who's going to hit for a ton of average and a good amount of power. Uh, so uh, I'm happy to, to get that switch hitting bat into my squad here. And he was the first pick in the in our most recent not not a mock draft, right? <laughs> yeah, and that was mostly just to reflect, you know, that the Orioles over the last, you know, the last two drafts have gone the college bat route, save some money, try to use it later on, and we, we don't have to dive into the the benefits or, or whether that works, but you know that they have done that, so that that was mostly to to reflect that with the first mock. All right. Fifth pick goes to the Nationals, number six, the Marlins. Jim, you're up. I'm taking Jackson Holiday. You know, we, I think we talked about him last week on the podcast, too, about how he's gotten just better in every phase of the game this spring. You know, he's high school shortstop from Stillwater, Oklahoma. He's gotten bigger, stronger, faster, arms better, tries to do too much on the showcase circuit and, and hunt some home runs last summer. And he's done a much better job of just letting the power come naturally. He, he's hitting the ball with a lot of authority. You know, as a guy who grew up around the game, which a lot of these guys at the top of our our draft list did this year, uh, he's got a high baseball IQ. Uh, so I'll take Jackson Holiday at six, and I'm not I'm not sure I really believe he would get to six in the draft if the draft were today. But I, I will take Jackson Holiday. All right, and the Cubs pick at number seven, Jonathan. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and get me a high school right-hander here, and I'm actually gonna take Brock Porter from Michigan. Both he and Andrew Dukanich, who's from Indiana, are back-to-back on our list. We've been getting very good reports of how they've been throwing as things have been warming up. And maybe I just I happened to hear from a scout who was at Porter's last start, and he was up to 96. He sat 94, showed both a power curve and a very good slider, plus change-up with good arm speed. <clears throat> He's six foot four, So I'm going to dip into that risky category of high school right-hander uh, at number seven. All right, so Brock Porter at number seven to the Cubs, and the Twins have the eighth pick, and Jim, you will go with? I'm going to take the same guy that Jonathan projected in his mock, and he he noted that he felt like there was a slight, like, unenthusiastic vibe he was getting from some scouting directors about Jacob Berry at LSU, and, like, like I'll, I'll die on this hill. Like that, it, it, I mean, and, and Jonathan's not wrong. I mean, I've kind of sensed that too, but I don't, I don't get it. I know... Jacob Berry is not a great defensive player. He's probably not going to be able to play third. He might be able to play right field. Um, you know, he might wind up at first base, but he's a switch hitter. He hits for average. He hits for power. He draws a bunch of walks. 
you know, I, I had a comp, you know, in the off season, that I kind of liked like switch hitting version of Andrew Vaughn who, who went third overall in the draft. He's got more extra base hits, more walks and strikeouts this year in the sec. Um, so, I, you know, I've kind of sensed that unenthusiastic vibe too, and I don't get it. I mean, most years people are, are, would, would be thrilled to have a college bat with Jacob Berry's ped- pedigree. Um, you know, regardless of the position, you know, Andrew Vaughn's not exactly Mr. Versatile, you know, Kyle Schwarber went fourth overall and, and he wasn't exactly Mr. Defensive options. I, I so I, I would be happy to get Jacob Berry at eight if it were a real draft. I think that would be a coup for the twins if that actually happened. All right. Number nine, Kansas city, Jonathan. Yeah. I will say that I do wonder if there are like teams kind of, I don't want to say like laying in the weeds. Cause when you're picking up that, Hi, but I'm wondering if the lack of enthusiasm with Jacob Berry is sort of just a lull people, you know, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he went in the top four or five picks also. I will go the college bat rep, and I'm going to go uh, down just a couple notches with our number 10 prospect, Daniel Susak, who's at the University of Arizona. Uh, his older brother, Andrew, played in the big leagues. Daniel Susak was a you know, two-sport guy in high school, wanted to go on Arizona. He's just a sophomore. He can really hit. He used to switch it. Now he's just right-handed, but there's he's hit. He's hit for power. He's shown that I think that he can catch well enough, you know, sort of like in the Parada bucket in terms, although he's he's got a, real, a very a stronger arm, but like he's good enough to stick behind the plate. And he also will hit enough that if you needed to move him to first base, say, I think he'd be just fine. But the combination of showing that he can catch and has hit so well, the spring has me thinking he's he's going to go right in this neck of the woods, if not a bit higher. Yes, Suzak, 1.022 OPS, 15 doubles, two triples, nine home runs, and 43 RBIs, uh, over 201 at-bats. Do you know who's leading Division One in ops right now? Uh, it's not Kevin Parada? No, it's not Kevin Parada. It is six foot one, two 263-pound senior transfer Sonny Deshara of Auburn, who, wow. you know, I guess staying on the theme I brought up, I'm not taking him at 10, but uh, uh, staying on the theme with Jacob Berry, he's just had, he, he transferred from Samford to Auburn and he's just having an unbelievable year uh, at Auburn. He's got an ops right now of 1439 with almost twice as many walks as strikeouts. Wow. All right. Our final pick in the Natamak. Jim, who are you taking for the Rockies here? I'm going to take Jace Young at 10 here. Just another polished college bat. He's had, he's leading Division One in walks. Not really getting pitched too much at Texas Tech, but but impressively not chasing, even though the lineup isn't as deep as it was last year. He's he's doing what you like to see. I mean, he's he's got plenty of power. He's letting it come naturally. He's not trying to do too much. He's a little banged up. Um, so I don't think he's running as well. Not that speed's a big part of his game. You know, I mean, I, I think there is some question defensively. Can he stay at second? He could probably be a fringy second baseman. You know, I don't think he's really got the arm for third. I, I think he's a guy you kind of make it work at second base. He'll he'll be that offensive second baseman, but I think he's going to provide a lot of offense. All right. So that's a wrap on the top 10 picks in this not a mock Five college bats, four high school bats, and one high school pitcher. And guys, I think we get to July and see the actual first 10 picks. Nobody's going to be surprised if it's 90% or more hitters, correct? Correct. Correct. All right. That'll wrap up our 
draft conversation, want to move along and talk a little bit about some minor league games that you can watch on MLB.tv. We talked about this on last week's episode of the podcast. We've been working to stream some minor league games featuring some of the elite prospects of the game on MLB.tv. You can watch these games if you're one of the approximately one zillion subscribers to MLB.tv. You can watch these games for free. You can also bundle together your MLB.tv package with the MILB.tv package for just an additional $25 and watch every minor league game that is available, which is every AAA team, every AA team, and dozens of single-A teams as well. So this week's slate, uh, as we're recording today, the first game of the week is on as we speak, which is a nice little matchup of a couple of the best shortstop prospects in the game with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, Blue Jays AA affiliate, Facing the Somerset Patriots, which means Orelvis Martinez versus Anthony Volpe. Orelvis doing us right. Homered in his first at bat in this game. So hopefully people watching that as we record this. And then a couple more games on the docket for this week, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, 735 Eastern start time, Arkansas at Frisco. Jack Leiter has been Frisco's Saturday starter, so we should get to see him again. He's off to... Pretty interesting start, 2.84 ERA and 19 strikeouts over four starts, but just 12 and two-thirds innings, and he's walked nine and has yet to pitch past the fourth inning. Anything surprise you so far, what you've seen from Leiter, or are the walks a concern, or too early to, to put much into that? What are, what are your initial impressions on Leiter's pro debut? I think it's too early. I mean, for all the Jack later dominated in college and he did during the pandemic season. And then last year when he tied Kumar Rocker for the D one leading strikeouts and, you know, had a spectacular season, he walked guys too. You know, I still think he's learning to harness it. You know, it, it might not be more than average control, which I think is, is fine. I mean, he's missing bats. I also wouldn't underrate making the jump from college baseball to double a. And, you know, I mean, he's, He's given up some unearned runs. I mean, his ERA is fine. He's he's missing bats, but I mean that, that that's a pretty big jump, and they've kept him on a pretty tight pitch count. I, I wouldn't say I'm concerned. Are, are you, Jonathan? No, it's. I mean, he's just getting started. What you said, twelve and two thirds innings. I'm not. It is. It is that interesting thing where I think people have an idea of who he is that may not be wholly accurate, just in terms of because he he's so smart on the mound. And he understands how to attack hitters and have a game plan that there's, and who he was sort of entering college, he may not end up being that sort of touch and feel Greg Maddoxy kind of guy, but we, we, we just don't have enough track record anywhere for him. So we have to kind of let him, let's let him settle in and see what he ends up being. But it is, it's sort of an interesting dichotomy so far in the brief times we've seen him both at Vanderbilt and now of his reputation in terms of his, his command and feel for pitching and what he's actually done. And that's a great call. I think because he's the son of Al Leiter who, you know, we've worked with at MLB network and is a two-time all-star and world series champion. And, and Jack does have great feel for the game because he grew up around the game and he's really impressive when you talk to him. I think there is this assumption that he's out there, you know, pitching on the black and, you know, rarely walking guys, but I mean, you know, in 100, you know, 126 innings at Vanderbilt, he walked 53 guys. So, I mean, that's, you know, control and command are going to be the biggest issues for him. Not that I'm worried, but, you know, we, we saw a stretch last year when he was at Vanderbilt where he got hit 
I think he gave up eight homers over a three start stretch and then, and then took a week off where, you know, he relies, you know, we talk about approach angle and carry up in the zone and all that stuff. His fastball is an elite fastball when it's up in the zone. If he throws it at the belt, it gets hit. And so like, I, I think, you know, and again, I mean, he's barely pitched. I mean, he, he only had one full season at Vanderbilt and, you know, again, take him a little while to adjust. And again, making that jump from, yeah, you know, I mean, you guys know I'm, I'm Mr. SEC. I, I love the SEC, but going from the SEC to double A, that's a huge jump. Even if you're the number two pick in the draft. We could have a really nice matchup in that game. Uh, Arkansas, Rotation led by the Mariners' number three prospect, George Kirby, who has been very good so far. And I guess, speaking of any sort of questions about control or command, you do not have those with Kirby, who in his pro debut struck out 25 while walking zero in 23 innings. This year, 32 strikeouts to five walks. He's 2-0 and across five starts with a 1.82 ERA. He pitched on May 1st. Sunday, and we're looking at a Saturday game here between Arkansas and Frisco. That would be that would be a beauty. Um, and then on Sunday, we have the Hillsborough Hops at the Eugene Emeralds, a 10.35 p.m. Eastern start time and a chance to watch Marco Luciano. And Jim, he's off to a, a good start. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, you know, he, we saw him struggle a little bit in the, in the Arizona Fall League where – if I remember what he was the youngest player in the Arizona Fall League, wasn't he? That sounds right. I think that is right. I want to say that 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 was the case. I remember writing he, that. He's oh. younger, yeah, younger than Tovar. Yeah, I, I think yeah. he he was. But so anyway, yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I mean, I do think, I mean, it's crazy. I, I'll, I'll be old man callous here, but like when I started, there was no prospect coverage, there was no internet, there was no watching video on your phone, there and, was no running water. You no, know, we had running water. But, uh, you know, I, like there, there just wasn't the spotlight on these guys that there is now. And, and I do think, I mean, I mean, you probably did too, Jonathan. I've gotten questions, you know, you know, Luciano went from, from low A to high A for like the last six weeks of last season, hit 217 with a bunch of strikeouts. You're granted at 19, he was four years younger than the typical guy in high A. And then he went to the fall league and he hit 250 and, you know, he hit three homers, but didn't, you know, he was fine, but it wasn't like he blew you away and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, like, like he just dominated. And I mean, it was a very offensive league and I got quite like, what's wrong with Marco Luciano? Is he going to make it? Is he overhyped? And it's like, geez, he's, he's 19 years old. Um, you know, he's back in high A this year hitting, you know, 328, four homers in 18 games. Is he going to be a shortstop long-term? If I had to guess, I would say no. He probably is not going to be a shortstop long term, but this guy is going to hit thirty plus homers in the big leagues, and and really he's probably on track to get to the big leagues when he's twenty one years old, maybe twenty two. All right, so make sure to keep an eye on MLB.tv over the course of this week into this weekend. Got some juicy prospect matchups for you coming your way. Uh, let's wrap up with a question from the mailbag. This one comes from Norberto. At N-O-R-B-S-T-G-O-3-1 on Twitter says, do you guys think teams will be more aggressive with high school pitchers in the draft given all the college arms down with injury or short track record of success? I find high school arms drop more than other demographics in the draft. Wondering if this year there could be run in the first. That's a long question, Roberto. Is that that's one tweet? Yep. Do you do you use all, all the characters there? All 280? Must have. We'll, we'll count that later. <laughs> you know, so... I think you could sort of look at this two ways. There's the, you know, what you think is going to happen and what 
you think should happen. And I think, Jim, you and I are more or less on the same page that you know, we don't have a problem with with high school pitching going in the first round, understanding the risk and the, the you know the history of it and, and things like that. I will say, and again, this is like very brief amounts of conversations that I've had with some of the teams. I can think of at least one team that might be more willing to look at a high school pitcher because they covet pitching in the first round and there isn't a college pitcher to take when they select. I don't know if that's going to be any kind of uh, huge trend. There are going to be the teams that just won't do high school pitching in the first round, and that's not going to change just because the college arm options are you know are hurt or have question marks. What do you think? Yeah, no, I was going to say wait, wait, I'm going to go quick quiz because like so when I was doing the draft overview for our top 150 list when that came out. It's like, you know, like I, I think there's five first round, five high school arms who could go in the first round. Dylan Lesko, even after the Tommy John, you mentioned Porter and Dukanich, and then there's a couple, you know, lefties down in, in, in Florida, Jackson Ferris and Brandon Barriera. And you got to take 30 guys in the first round this year. And it just makes more sense to me, talent's talent, to take those guys over, say, pushing up a, a second round college pitcher. Just to, you know, cause you, you, you have to have a college pitcher in the first round and there, there is more risk with high school pitchers. I mean, I, I think you can make the same case. There's more risk with high school hitters because there's less track record. I mean, yes, you know, the, the injuries too, but I mean, we, we've spent the whole year talking about how many college pitchers are hurt. It's not like you go to college and that guarantees you health going forward. Pitchers of all sorts get hurt. So if you think a high school guy is the best guy on the board. You should take him. But so anyway, when I, when I was doing the overview, I was like, okay, there's there's five high school pitchers who could go in the first round, who I think you and I would agree should go in the first round, you know, based on especially this year's class. Do you know when the last time five high school pitchers went in the first round? No, 2011. Jason? I was going to say over 10 years ago. How about 2021? <laughs> last year? Come on. <laughs> I, I, I was shocked, too, because you had Jackson, you had Jackson Job, yeah. Frank Mazzucato, Andrew Painter, Chase Petty, and Maddox Bruns. So we had five last year, which I was like, oh, like I was going to, that was going to be one of my, my points of emphasis in the, in the overview. And I was like, well, I guess I can't really use that because and, it's, and it's not really a thing. So here I, here I thought my long-term memory was shot. Evidently my short-term memory is not so yeah, good. You know, and then, you know, I mean, look, I mean, I, are we surprised the Dodgers took, you know, high school pitcher? I'm not, but like, I wouldn't have necessarily thought the twins were going to take Chase Petty, who, who mm-hmm. they've already traded, but they did. They, they, they really liked what they saw from Chase Petty. So um, you know, getting back to the question at hand, I don't know if it's more aggressive if five go this year, but I mean, I, I don't know how you watch Dukanich or Brock Porter pitch and not look at that guy and say he's a first rounder. I mean, there, there's some good college pitchers who we have ranked as second rounders. I couldn't take those guys over Dukanich or Porter right now. Right. No, I would, I would agree with you. And I think, you know, the, the, the one thing that we don't know is even last year there were guys who didn't go in the first round but went in the second round and got first round money that's part of the when data is collected in terms of the success of high school pitching that has to be taken into account is signability right so those five guys that you mentioned if one or two of them goes in the competitive balance round say or the second round but then they get three and a half million dollars to sign or whatever it is you really should count that as being a first round pick when you're looking back historically to see what the success rate of those those pitchers are. Well, I mean, good point. I mean, the, the first pick in the second round, Anthony Solomito by the yep. Pirates. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Got two point eight million, and then Bubba Chandler, uh, B- Ben Caderna of the Royals 
who was picked 43rd overall in the second round. He got 3 million, you know, Bubba yep. Chandler. Yeah. I mean, so, so anyway, I don't, I guess, I don't know if we talked around the Norberto's question a little bit. I, I do agree with him. I think the high school arms drop more than any other demographic, but um, like I said, I was, I was shocked that five went in the first round last year. I did not see that coming. And, you know, again, a lot can happen. We're still, it's crazy. We're, we're what, 10 weeks away from the draft still. Yeah. But if the draft were today, I, I don't see how the, those five high school arms wouldn't go in the first round. Uh, like, I, yeah. It, it, yeah. Last thought on, on, on this before we, uh, you know, tie a bow on everything, but uh, you know, I think it is interesting that I think there are teams who would re- take a college guy who had Tommy John surgery over a healthy high school pitcher, right? Yeah. And yep. That's going to happen. Um, now, some of that might be, you know, well, what they can sign the guy for if he's had surgery, you get him for less money, all those things come to play. And then there are other variables. Like, so Brandon Barrera, one of the, 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 the high school lefties you referred to, who a lot of people like, is done. He shut down on April 19th. He's not hurt. He's just done pitching. So he's not going to pitch again in a game between now and the draft. Now there might be, you know, private workouts and things of that nature, but you know, so I don't know what that does. Maybe that's better, right? There's less chance of him getting hurt and he faced good competition during the spring season, but it's, it's an odd thing and, a, and an odd precedent for me. So like, I, I don't know where he slots in and even talking to scouts, you know, who do you like better Barrera or Ferris? It was a split camp. That's why we had him back to back. Two high school pitchers taken in 2020 in the first round, three in 2019, seven in 2018. All right. Thanks very much to Norberto for that question. And thanks to everyone for listening. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.